Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Arsenal need a manager. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days, while in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football, and that means it's our Christmas party. Not only that, but the band is back together, which means leading the line this week and taking the captain's armband back is Cole. Cole, I hope all is well, mate. Yeah, how you doing, Dan? Um, good week in football and, and looking forward to getting in some, some good chat with you guys again. Yes, it's been a long time coming. And of course, I'm looking for harmony in my dressing room. So I hope Drew isn't too upset. But more importantly, Drew, I hope all is well with you, mate. Yes, I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. I walked into today's podcast with my Santa outfit on, full beard, hat, everything. I'm in the holiday cheer sort of mood and feeling. Fantastic. So a festive celebration of football on the agenda. Before we talk all things football, I do the social media bits first. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. And also, if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool? I hear you ask. It's the company behind the game, Last Man Standing. One which is free to enter and the prize pool once again stands at £1,000. If this has grabbed your interest, be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. Because the odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Let's go to the Emirates. And although there's a hint of possibility that Arsenal may name a new manager this week, on the evidence of last Sunday, Cole, they really need one, and fast. 
Yeah, and big, big problems there, isn't there, Dan? You know, you've got a, a squad that doesn't know where it's going, you know, no kind of way forward at the moment. Um, I think last week, you know, if you sat there and said how many, you know, if, if you sort of said based on that performance at the weekend, you were trying to judge where City were in their title race, you'd just say, well, to be honest, that game was never going to tell us too much about City because we all expected them to go there and kind of, beat Arsenal and Arsenal probably not to put in much of a performance um, and that kind of sums where Arsenal are at the moment as a club is doesn't it because uh, not so long ago you you know they would have been in that game and it would have been a big game at a weekend but not now you know they, they're just becoming a kind of mid-table club now that people were starting to forget about um, you know players that are just you know disasters you know a back line that just doesn't seem to have a clue half the time of what it's doing. Um, you know, no problems with their front line. You know, Bamiang and Lacazette will always cause a problem. But just once you look beyond that, there's just nothing there that gives you a glimmer of hope that, you know, they can finish a season strongly, even if they get a new manager. Um, but again, you know, these problems have been ongoing and it's the same thing at Arsenal as it has been for, for years and years now. Um, and, and it's just, you know, it, it's not looking good for them. You know, they are kind of now just declining and the decline is becoming rapid as each season continues. Um, and, and it's sad times for them, you know, obviously being Spurs fans, it, it's great for us. But, you know, if you're an Arsenal fan, you'd be really worried because, when you're looking at the possible candidate at the moment who's going to take over, I'm not so sure thinking, you know, whether that job is going to be too much for him to take. Um, and that you're walking into a squad that you don't really have, you know, much to work with um, and where you can see the new bounce and possibly the improvements coming from. So really worrying times, I think, at the Emirates then. Drew, let's be honest, Arsenal were always going to be the outsiders, even at home against Manchester City. But, you know, 90 seconds in, Kevin De Bruyne has already put the visitors ahead. It was men versus boys on Sunday, and our wounded animal theory came home to roost, didn't it? Yeah, Manchester City absolutely dominated this game. The second half was merely nothing more than a training exercise for them. And it was emblematic on that first goal, the one you mentioned from Kevin De Bruyne. You see Manchester City just striding right past Nicola Pepe, who did nothing to stop the buildup in the attack. And then, of course, you get the smooth passing in, and then De Bruyne smashes it home. This is what Arsenal has become, essentially. They are a wounded animal without their manager, sure. That definitely played into it, I think, a little bit in this match. But even if they were in the hands of a new manager, even if that manager had a full week's worth of training with them, Arsenal still would have gotten destroyed and obliterated in this match. So there was really nothing... That was a surprise from these 90 minutes. And for Arsenal, they're going to continue being a wounded animal. They're going to continue getting hunted and preyed on, even if they do get a new manager. So for right now, this is a massive job and a massive rebuild at the club. Cole, the only thing that spared Arsenal really in the second half was the fact that City went, do you know what, there's so much football still to be played in the next couple of weeks. Why bother? You know, let's take off it completely off the pedal. By the end of the game... Usually with a dropping like that, there's usually quite the vociferous boos. But it was almost a case of, we've been here before and, you know, the fans have got nothing else to boo about now, have they? 
Yeah, like, like I say, I, I think, you know, th this has become the norm, isn't it? You know, it was like normal service almost. So, like as you say, you know, a few years ago, that performance at the end, would you know, fans would have been disgusted. But I think even as Arsenal fans now, they probably came away thinking, well, actually, that could have been a lot worse. So, actually, 3-0, probably not as bad as it could have been. And, you know, for a club like that and the size they are and obviously the history that they've had recently, that I say it's a real worry. They, they are just seeming to become a, a mid-table, you know, mediocrity side at the moment. And games like that, they, they're going into it expecting that kind of result. And, you know, that is a real worry because, as I say, that, that when, when you start to see that kind of decline, um, then, you know, that is not good signs at all. And, Drew, when it comes to booze, what do you make of Mesut Ozil? There's no point discussing his performance because that was non-existent, but... You know, let's position yourself as an Arsenal fan. Your team's 3-0 down and you've got him just trudging off the pitch. Like, in that position, you just wanted to get off, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And we saw this not too long ago with Granite Shaka. The only difference here was that Ozil didn't really react to the fans and you didn't see any of the sarcastic clapping or anything like that. But it's the exact same situation as we just saw. And, of course, that didn't really work out well for any parties involved. And for Mesut Ozil and Arsenal, this is just another example of the terrible, you know, marriage between the two and how it was never going to work out and it's not going to work out. You can continue to play him. He's a talented enough player that he should be in that 11. But obviously you see the problems that he can create and that's something that whoever the new manager is is going to have to weigh his options. Does he want to play Mesut Ozil and bring all of that baggage with him? Or is it easier to just leave him out of the side? That's going to be a tough question to answer. And Carl, if that new man is Mikel Arteta, as you alluded to, I mean, doesn't really feel you too much confidence. I know he's sort of high rated as a coach, but it's just the unknown, really, isn't it? It might be a beautiful appointment, but it could be more crash and burn, couldn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a massive job, isn't it? For someone that's got no kind of manager, managerial experience to walk in there and kind of have to take on the pressures of everything there are, um, then, you know, it, it is either crash or burn. You know, he could, either, he could either be a guy that goes in and obviously having worked under Pep, he could suddenly be the, you know, the, the shining light at the end of the tunnel and lead them on, you know, and improve them massively. Or it could go in and just find that the job dwarfs him and he wasn't prepared for everything. You know, you've also as well, when you look at Arsenal as a club, you've also got the sort of baggage that comes with it now, like the Arsenal TV type stuff. And, you know, you know, a, pro, a lot of experienced managers may have looked and said, do I really need all that kind of hassle that comes with that job, you know, as well? So, this will be a massive job to take on as a first job. And if it is Arteta, then, you know, this could either go horribly wrong or it could about to be a masterstroke being pulled off. Well, you mentioned Arsenal Fan TV or AFTV, whatever they're called these days, and they're already sort of not anti-Arteta, but they're not really pro-Arteta. I and mean, you've got such a, a vocal fan base, a big percentage of that fan base, who almost sort of influence and dictate what other people think and they sort of what they feel. That's not a good starting point for a new manager already, is it? So difficult on that front. Also difficult, Drew. Freddie Lundberg, how much criticism do you give to him? Because on Sunday, he almost looked lost, as if to say, like, oh, God, like, what else can I do? However, it seems his pleas for assistance seem to be going on deaf ears, don't they? So why don't Arsenal just get their house in order? Well, the reason is because they have a poor management staff that has absolutely no plan. This is why they hung on to Unai Emery 
as long as they did because they didn't have someone lined up. Right? Give Spurs credit for that. When they sacked Pochettino, Mourinho was ready to go the next day. Arsenal do not have that foresight right now, and that's why they threw Freddie Lundberg into this mess. If he looked lost, is it really his fault for being out of his depth? Not really. He didn't ask to be put in this position, and Arsenal kind of created this madness on their own. And even more so, you can see they have no plan by now trying to hire Mikel Arteta. And that's not a slam at Arteta, but if you think about it, he was clearly not first choice at Arsenal. They have had bigger names reject them. And that's why now they're finally going to Arteta. If they wanted him originally, he would have been in the news as the favorite a week or two ago, whenever they or however long ago they fired Emery. But he's clearly much farther down their wish list. And it's just another example of how they have no plan and have no idea what they're doing. So when Freddie Lundberg is asking for help, desperate for Arsenal hired a new man to hire a new manager, and they don't do it, it's because they have no idea what they're doing in the boardroom. They have absolutely no plan for the rest of the season, the short term or probably the long term. Well, you mentioned Arteta and the fact that if they really wanted him, they would have got him by now. But you could apply that exact same logic and statement to when they hired Emery because Arteta was also interviewed. So if he was such this sterling candidate, he would have been in the job, probably still in the job. But now they're sort of, they've looked down the list once, thought no. They've looked down the list again and thought, oh, well, you know, we really are sort of running out of options now. So it doesn't, I guess, doesn't really give him such a glowing reference, does it? But I guess, you know, they've got to turn at some point and they are running out of options. And, you know, they're running out of time also, when you consider that January transfer window, do you put a man in charge and trust him with funds and all that? So it's going to be really, really interesting what happens at the Emirates. It's also going to be interesting what happens at Goodison because they've also got a club legend turned interim manager. And it's fair to say that they've had slightly more success under Duncan Ferguson. Although, Cole, was his decision to haul off and already substitute Moyes Keane the one thing that's probably jolted the Everton board in thinking we need to get a permanent man in? Yeah, there was a, it was a strange decision, wasn't it? I mean, you know, there's there's been lots of talk about this and, you know, I've heard Everton fans on the radio after that game saying that, you know, that even Moyes Keane, when he was on the pitch, he'd only been on a little while, but he was you know, breathing, you know, heavily and doubled over. So even they were saying that, you know, there, there were question marks about why is this guy who's just come on seeming to be knackered already? Um but when you're dealing with young players, sometimes there is an element of patience and actually like, you know, I have to do the right thing here for this young man. And, you know, if I've brought him on as a sub, if I haul him off, then this is going to kill him. Um, and the one thing that, you know, you have to say is at least what maybe he should have done at the end of that game was own it. You know, if he's brought him off because he doesn't feel like the guy was putting the effort in, then maybe you've got to own that as a manager and come out and be brave enough to say it rather than just, you know, try to come up with this excuse of like, oh, I didn't realise, you know, I just had to pick someone. Um, it doesn't really come across brilliantly. And maybe, as you say, maybe that was a sort of mark where the board might go, do you know what, maybe this guy's a little too invested um, in us as a club and can he be trusted to kind of make sane, sensible decisions um, uh, here as our manager? The only other, the only flip side to that you could say right now is do they, do they for now try to just ride the wave of this new manager bounce with Big Dunk? Because obviously, you know, he seems to have got them playing and, you know, they are, they have improved in the last two performances. Um, 
you know, obviously, I think you you might mention it in a minute. You know, it seems like Ancelotti maybe has agreed to take that job. I just wonder whether Everton, you know, we talk about new manager bounce. They might have been worth just trying to like hold on to this little bit of bounce and good feeling they've got around the club with Dunk there, and just you know ride it for another couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll get to Ancelotti in a minute with Drew, but Carl, I guess with Everton, they certainly look more disciplined. But at the end of the day, if Big Dunk tells you to run for a brick wall, then you're going to run for a brick wall, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'd do whatever he told exactly. me to do. <laughs> if he's on the sideline and he tells me just to run into a corner flag, I'm going to do it. You wouldn't want to mess with him, would you? And you can certainly imagine that in training and in that dressing room, he's let them know in no uncertain terms what he expects from them. And I guess there's probably a little bit of fear element there that, listen, if I don't run here at least for 90 minutes and put this shift in, this bloke will have no problems in a changing room pulling me out and maybe having a face-to-face with me you know I think there's a certain a certain burglar somewhere who, who knows what it's like to cross Duncan Ferguson's path so yeah you do as he says that's for sure and Drew what's your take on all things Moisey does it boil down to a lack of managerial now from Duncan Ferguson I mean yes you can sub a sub there's not necessarily anything wrong with that you only have to look at um, Eric Dyer a few weeks back you know you explain the situation it's all smoothed over it's fine however you let someone that young, a teenager, walk down a tunnel on his own in front of 70,000 fans, that's going to be a real bitter one to swallow, isn't it? Yeah. Ferguson knew exactly what he was doing. He was trying to send a message because, like you mentioned, you see Moise Keane walk directly down the tunnel, head down, ashamed, knowing that there is a problem. This was not a simple, as Ferguson put it, oh, we're trying to waste time. He could have taken off Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He could have taken off Alex Awobi. He had other options to take off instead of Moise Keane. But again, he did this with a purpose. I think there is a reason. And we've seen Moise Keane have attitude problems before, whether it was with the Italy youth team, uh, international side, uh, or with Everton. He's been late to uh, training before. So maybe there are disciplinary problems behind the scenes and – Ferguson had enough, as Marco Silva likely did. And now, after trying to warn him, after trying to explain things to him, he said, you know what? Enough is enough. Now, this is speculation for me, but I'm thinking that there is something deeper here. This was done on purpose with intent to send a, uh, to send a message to Moise Keane. I don't think it was inexperience from Ferguson. He knew exactly what he was doing. And on the topic of Carlo Ancelotti, Drew, I mean, if they do get Everton... In him installed, that's going to be quite the coup when you consider the clubs that he has managed before and also, you know, the position that Everton are in, that might be the sort of the rocket that they need to get up the table. Yeah, I think Ancelotti can definitely make Everton into the club that they want to be. Right now, they want to be perennially in that top six, fighting for a Europa League spot. And Ancelotti has the experience, the nous, he has the knowledge. He's managed in the Premier League before. And so I think he would be able to turn them around. I think this can be a very good hire because, like you said, it's a little bit of a coup. I did not expect him to fall to Everton. I didn't expect him to eat possibly a little bit of humble pie going to Everton, who right now is below some of the clubs he's managed at, uh, especially take Real Madrid not too long ago. So I think this is a good move. I think this benefits both parties, getting Ancelotti to Everton. And I think this year he'll be able to stabilize them and then over the next year or two, make them a lot better. And Cole, as for Manchester United, will they be disappointed not to have built on two impressive wins, especially now as Tottenham have moved above them in the table? 
Yeah, I guess, you know, given Everton's recent form, I suppose if you were United, you know, a home game against them, you probably would have penciled in as a, it's one where you'd expect to pick up three points given the way they've been playing. Um, so, yes, I do believe if you're a United fan or, you know, Solskjaer will be looking at that as two points dropped. And as we know, the way the season's going, you know, you drop any points and, and it could be, you know, could be at your fault because at the moment now, it's so tight in this race for top four and, you know, between the bottom, you can't really afford to slip up too often. So those sort of games you really need to put to bed. So, yeah, I think United will be disappointed with that um, performance, more the performance as well as the result. So, yeah, drop points there for sure. And, Carl, it's Tottenham that we'll talk about next because I guess it's difficult to say, you know, under a certain manager, we wouldn't have won that game. However, if Potter was still in charge this season, we probably wouldn't have even got a point at Molyneux, would we? Yeah, I don't think so, Dan. I think, you know, you're quite right there. I, I don't feel if, if Potch had been in charge, I, would we have picked up some of the points we had picked up, you know, since before that game? I'm not so sure. Um, but I certainly don't think we would have got, you know, anything out of there. You know, it, it was a smash and grab, wasn't it, of all proportions, because we, we were battered in the game. Wolves, you know, as I said, even a point, I think Wolves would have been disappointed and could come away saying we only got a point out of a game we've dominated. But then to not even get one point from that game, um, they'll, they'll be distraught. But as we've said before as well, that is the sort of win that Jose Mourinho has been brought in for and that the club have said this is a direction we want to go now. You know, we've been pretty, we've been nice, we've tried doing it the right way sometimes. But now we actually need to get someone in who, even if it's nasty, horrible, ugly, we get the win and we move on away from there. So this is exactly the sort of performance that, you know, Jose has been brought in to get out of that team. And again, you know, when you look at the way Wolves have been playing this year, not many teams will go and pick up points there. So it's a great win. And it could be, you know, that could be one that kind of turns the season slightly. This is the exact question I was going to ask to Drew. Drew, could that be the pivotal result for Tottenham this season? Yes, they've had an away win. They've had sort of smash Burnley 5-0. But just the manner and I guess the character that was shown at Molyneux, could that be the sort of the apex where you look back and think that was the result which sparked them off into the top four? Yeah, you definitely can use this win. I think really the turning point is the hiring of Jose Mourinho. But putting that aside, yes, I think this was a very important win for Spurs. Because as Carl kind of alluded to, Wolves were very good on the day. And not only that, Spurs had to go up against 11 corners and countless other free kicks and set pieces. And they did not surrender one goal from any of those. You know, the goal came from Triore in, in open play. So I think this was a very important win. Tottenham were able to hold firm defensively. And then when they needed to grind their teeth a bit towards the end, they were able to find a winner from a corner in Jan Vertonghen. And I think that's very important for them to be able to get this result against a good side, a team that they're battling for a Europa League spot, if not uh, for the Champions League spot. So this was a big three points for Tottenham. And this definitely can launch them into a consistent good run of form, especially next week as they face Chelsea at home. Chelsea, a team that's on the slide right now. So this is a big moment for Spurs. And I think they definitely need to take advantage of it and use this to kind of springboard uh, a good rest of the year. Drew, I'll stay with you. Earlier, was it today? No, it was yesterday, sorry. I asked a question on, uh, actually I asked a poll on Twitter. 
Do you think Wolves can win the Europa League? Or will the teams that have dropped down from the Champions League, will that hamper their progress now? It really all depends on those teams who drop down to the to the Europa League. How serious are they going to take it? Right. If you look at someone like Inter Milan, who probably wants to win Serie A more than the Europa League, are they going to rotate and use the Europa League as kind of um, nothing matches? Are they just going to take a punt on it? I think that's going to affect Wolves. If a lot of those teams do that, then sure, Wolves absolutely have a chance. And for them, why not? It's not as if they're going to get relegated in the Premier League. So why not put your best uh, foot forward as much as you can in Europe and go as far as you can and try and win the whole thing. I think that would be an amazing story. Championship to Premier League and in their first season of the Premier League in the Europa League and then the next year they win the Europa League. That would be absolutely phenomenal. They should absolutely try and do it. Cole, anything to add to that? No, I completely agree with with Drew there. You know, say they're not going to get relegated this year. And, you know, that's look at that performance on Saturday. You know, if they can play that style of football and continue that sort of form, then I don't think there's anyone they should fear. And, yeah, if I was them, I would be looking to put all, you know, a lot of my eggs in that Europa League basket. And while we're on the topic of European football, let's talk about the Champions League. So let's talk about the draw for the round of 16. Cole, are you happy with RB Leipzig? Yeah, I mean, I, I go into this competition and I'm never really too fussed who we get. You know, there is always that thing like, oh, who do we want? Who do we want? And I think a lot of people are trying to pick out the weakest side in the competition where, for me, the whole point of this competition is to go up against Europe's best side. So I, I don't mind getting one of the bigger teams. But, you know, I think, you know, Leipzig, they're not going to be an easy game. Top of the Bundesliga, playing well. Um, you know, we shouldn't take these too lightly. Um, I think, you know, we may just have the ace up our sleeve with Jose because I believe we've got a manager who knows, you know, at this point of this competition now, knows how to get it done. Um, you know, yes, it could have been worse. You know, we could have had one of the bigger, you know, sides and bigger names. But this won't be easy. But I, I don't fear them, that's for sure. And I do think, you know, we can get through this round and get ourselves into the into the quarterfinals for sure. And Drew, what's your take on Chelsea being paired with Bayern Munich and repeat of the 2012 final? That is going to be a really tough two legs for Chelsea. I do think out of the four Premier League teams in the last 16, I think Chelsea got the toughest draw of them all. It is a repeat of that 2012 final, as you mentioned, in which Chelsea not only won the Champions League, but won at Bayern's home stadium in Munich. So they're going to go back there. I don't really think that has any bearing on the tie whatsoever. I mean, objectively looking at this, Bayern Munich are the better side. And especially their attack, Robert Lewandowski, who's having the season of his life, going up against young, young, raw, inexperienced defenders, especially center backs if you look at Tomori, Zuma, or maybe Rudiger if he's not injured come uh, February and March. This is going to be tough for them to be able to contain Lewandowski and stop him, which I don't think they'll be able to do. And then, of course, out wide, the wingers, Gnabry, Coman. I think they're going to run Chelsea ragged. I think this is a really, really tough draw for the Blues. And I don't see them as favorites. I think if you're a betting man, you have to put your money on Bayern Munich in this tie. Drew, staying with you, what's your tie of the round? Without a doubt, Manchester City versus Real Madrid. Both of these teams want to go deep in the Champions League after 
way too early of acceptable exits last season. And plus, for Manchester City, for them, it's Champions League or bust. Most likely, they're not going to win the Premier League this year. But beyond that, this is the trophy that has eluded the club and the owners, and even Pep Guardiola when he hasn't been at Barcelona. And so both really want and need this trophy. Plus, if Manchester City don't win, and even on top of that, if they get eliminated in the round of 16, I think that might be a fireable offense. And I could see Pep and Manchester City, maybe separation through mutual agreement is the way they'll state it instead of firing him. But I could definitely see the two parting ways if they don't win the Champions League this year. So for Man City, they have to go all in and they start the knockouts with a very tough tie against Real Madrid with Karim Benzema, who's been fantastic this year for them. So this is going to be a tough tie and it's a standout one by far. Yeah, I don't think many people would argue with that suggestion. Carl, a slightly different question. There's no club in the round of 16 from outside what you would call the big five European leagues. Is that something of a concern to you? I guess as English football fans, we're sort of part of the problem, as it were, Tottenham and Chelsea and all that. But really, that's not good for European football, is it? No, I think that the thing is, they, you know, we get used to kind of the same names, don't we, when yeah. it gets to the round of 16. You know, the group stages come up and we get, you know, some of the, you know, odd sides that are new to it and that. But you quite often find that the round of 16, it becomes the same names. And I guess the one good thing that's happened this year is we've got some different ties than we usually get, you know, because you can get used to the same sort of teams being drawn out against one another when it comes to the round of 16 and it all feels a little bit too familiar and you know a little bit samey each year Um, but I think there will be some worries about you know what's happening outside as you say the big leagues um, and and how we can kind of maybe you know increase the quality that's coming through there Um, but I guess if you're if you're UEFA then it's brilliant because those are the sides that bring in the big revenue, isn't it? And the money. So I guess, you know, it's always a shame, isn't it? That money talks and I guess UEFA will be quite happy with who they've got in there. Um, But yeah, there is a slight concern because it would be nice to see, you know, some new names and some new teams come through. But, you know, I guess, unfortunately, the way the money works in the world of football and these clubs have the power, we probably won't see it for a long while. Well, this is it, isn't it? UEFA are going to look at that lineup and think, well, we don't need to change it. That said, though, Drew, the Europa League does actually look like a melting pot of continental clubs. It's much maligned, there's no doubt about that, but it does get much more interesting after the new year. Yeah, so the Europa League, you're going to have those teams dropping in, like we talked about from the Champions League, and then you have more of the, the best of the best, right? For all intents and purposes, that includes Manchester United. That does include Arsenal. And for right now, it involves Wolves. And so you have uh, more even matchups right now, which does make the Europa League a bit more exciting than I think people expect because you don't have those big names. But I think it is pretty much open. And like we talked about earlier, it just depends on how seriously some of these teams take it. And the same could be said of Manchester United, of Arsenal. Are they going to take it seriously? Or are they going to focus on the league and try and get that fourth spot that's kind of up for grabs right now so it's an interesting dynamic that you're going to see play out between uh some of these teams because of how much they prioritize the europa league versus their own domestic league right that's the first half in the bank on the other side of the break we're going to pay the bills and talk about the rest of the premier league weekend so don't go anywhere your accumulator letting you down again You've cashed out early. 
And you just can't win. Prehistoric football coupons? Nah. Have a think about it. Why not play a new way? At Loserpool, pick a loser and win a thousand pounds in a last man standing tournament. Be a loser and win at Loserpool. Enter for free now. Visit loserpool.com. Right then, welcome back. I hope you're still there. Before we talk all things Premier League, let's play Loserpool. So, Cole, you're on an absolute monster run. The question is, can it continue? And more importantly, what is your Loserpool pick for this week? So this week for me, Dan, I'm going to go for Norwich um, as my losers. They're at home to Wolves. I just think the way Wolves are playing right now, I, I see them edging Nor- Norwich out um, and-, and picking up the win. So I'll, I'll go Norwich. OK, mate. And Drew, what have you got for me? You're not on a bad run yourself, actually. You're just two points behind the league leader. Yeah, right now. It's getting a little bit tough with teams that I'm not able to pick during this successful run. But you know what? I think I got a good one. For this upcoming weekend, I am going to take Brighton to lose at home to Sheffield United. We've talked about it pretty much every single week, how fantastic the Blades have been this year. They were again this past weekend, and I think they're going to follow it up next weekend. So again, I'm taking Brighton to lose at home to Sheffield United. Okay, I'm going to go for, I'll get a free hit because I picked Bournemouth last week and they done me over. So um, I'm going to go for, I'm going to, do you know what, I'm going to throw... Caution to the wind a bit. I'm going to go for Leicester to lose away at Manchester City. I just think with, um, obviously, Man City, the title race is, is is done, let's be honest. But they could stop Leicester from pretty much winning the title or entering the title race. I just think now City are resurgent. They blew Arsenal away. Leicester have that little wobble. I just think City might just have that little extra come Saturday. So, let's recap. Carl's gone for Norwich to lose at home to Wolves. Drew's gone for Brighton to lose at home to Sheffield United. And I've gone for Leicester to lose at home, sorry, to lose away at Manchester City. So, we'll see how that pans out. Actually, we won't, because it's the last episode before Christmas. But I'll keep a mental note. Don't worry about that. We'll, we'll take stock in the new year. Right, let's talk Premier League, because the Premier League leaders, Liverpool, they are romping away with it now. And you could say that life was difficult for them on Saturday against Watford. They won in the end, there's no doubt about that. However, Carl, Gigi Wijnaldum getting injured was the one thing they could have done without. Yeah, definitely. You know, at the moment, they, they don't want to lose key players. Um, but again, I think, you know, this weekend showed a performance, which is why Liverpool are going to get the title over the line and get it done this year. You know, they weren't great. They were looking tired. You know, they were making mistakes that you don't normally see them make. You know, you got Van Dijk almost passing one into his own net at a certain point. But again, you know, they... They managed to get a result over the line where they didn't concede. I mean, some of that was obviously down to some poor finishing from Watford. But again, they've got the result over the line and they can now go off and do their, you know, World Club Cup and get that kind of out of the way. But they've got that resiliency now, Liverpool, that even when they're playing poorly, they can do what they need to to get the results over the line. Um, And I think, as we said, the title race is over for me. Um, they're, they're going to end up, you know, it will be a comfortable margin by the time the end of the season comes. But they, but yeah, you know, they can go away now. It's a busy period of time for them. 
but I think this could recharge their batteries and then they come back in the new year. Obviously, they've got a sign-in to come in January. They've already made a sign-in. So I think that's a really good sign-in that they've brought themselves there. And, you know, the rumour is that this guy is a really good player. So that coming in gives them another little boost. And I can just see them finishing, you know, and taking this little break the way it should be. They'll come back recharged and they'll just blow everyone away again. You know, they've just got it all at the moment. And, you know, credit to them because, you know, they deserve to be where they are. Drew, Watford will look at that game and think, do you know what, if we could just put our foot through one, maybe two of those chances, that would have been a completely different story. Yeah, Watford on several occasions, and it was different players. Saar was one of them. I think Kapu missed another one. They pretty much just swung and missed, just absolutely whiffed. And honestly, that was a perfect representation of their entire season. Watford this year have been abysmal, and in this game... They were as well. Chances like that, balls bouncing up, putting up on a put up on a tee, and they're not able to strike it cleanly, let alone even put it on target. So Watford, this was a terrible performance. And while at times they did make it difficult, we could say, for Liverpool, I think it was not really Watford's own doing. I think they accidentally made it difficult for Liverpool because they were not good themselves throughout the entire match. Cole, does Nigel Pearson look at that and think, yeah, I could work with this group of players, there's something there? Well, I think, you know, obviously, as I say, you know, on another day, they manage to strike a couple of them, then they get a, a performance that you kind of might think could lift them a little bit. Um, but I think, like Drew, you know, I just fear for Watford this season. You know, I don't think they've got the quality. You know, Deeney's their main man, but he he's kind of looking, you know, the age has caught up with him slightly. Um, I think Pearson, if you're any manager, you'll go in and feel you can get something out of them. I, I just think, unfortunately for them, that this season is going to see them go down. And then it's a rebuilding job. Um, we know, you know, Pearson has done well at Leicester bringing it up. And maybe what they've done is a point in knowing that, you know, they're looking further ahead to maybe next season and the fact that they've brought someone in who's been able to do it in the past. And then they'll just have to rebuild again. They'll lose a couple. The good thing, I guess, for Watford is if they were to get relegated, that squad's not going to suddenly get gutted over the course of the summer. You know, you can't see too many of those players being picked off by, you know, <laughs> Premier League sides. Um, and they can do what they need to to come back the following season. But as Drew said, worrying times for Watford because you just fear for them for the rest of this season. Carl, the uh, opposition scout, gave you a damning assessment of Watford He there. did. He did. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think you're absolutely right in that sense. Drew, it wouldn't be an episode on the Real Football Cast without some VAR chat. Two decisions for Liverpool. I think you could say they were the right calls, but man, they're taking so long to make a decision at the moment, aren't they? They absolutely are. And once again, when we talk about these small, minute centimetres offside, if we take it with Mane's goal that was disallowed. It's to the point where I do think that a lot of people would say, you know what, that type of margin that's millimetres, a toenail, you know what, I'm okay with the, quote, wrong call if we don't have to go through VAR, we don't have to kill celebrations, we don't have to wait several minutes on end for something that's so close and you can't even really be sure that it was indeed offside. And so I think a lot of people are really turning on it. I will say in the previous few weeks, 
there have been good calls where VAR has gone through the right process. Everything has been done correctly. They've gotten the right call. And that's good to see. I'm not trying to downplay any of those. But I do think people are really tired, especially of this offside call, when it's so, so small of a difference. And it's not really even an advantage, which is what the rule is trying to stop you from having. Right, I asked another poll on Twitter, and this one is for both of you, and it is. Carl, first up, do you think Liverpool can get 50 Premier League games unbeaten? Yeah, definitely, Dan. You know, I, I don't see why not the way things are going. Like I say, I think they've become a side that even when playing poorly now, they can get wins over the line. They seem to be able to bring, you know, fringe players in who, when they do get given a chance, produce and score goals. So, yeah, I don't see anyone stopping them. Um, I, I think they can. And Drew, what about yourself, mate? Yeah, you know, I actually think this is the right time to finally start bringing up this type of discussion and also the invincible one because they're pretty much halfway through the season. They've beaten all potential challengers already, Leicester, Manchester City, the list goes on. And like you mentioned, if you carry it over from last season into this season, reaching 50 is definitely within the realm of possibility. Of course, there could be a slip-up, right? I myself have been doubting Liverpool this entire season, saying at some point they're going to start dropping points. At some point, at some point. Well, you know what? The fact that they have gotten so many wins, including this match over Watford, when they haven't played well and they've continued to win for an entire year, almost two years, or almost a, a full year if you go back to last season, I almost think, you know what? If this is how they win games not playing well, they're only going to get better and start blowing out teams. So I've been kind of negative on Liverpool, waiting for them to come back down to earth. They've almost convinced me now that this is their bottom, and the rocket ship can only go up from here. So I definitely think 50 games is a strong possibility, unbeaten for Liverpool. Yeah, I'm strapping it to the moon. I think they're going to go 50. Wherever they go the whole season... I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. They've got the best possible chance. That's probably a little bit too early to say, but I think, you know, maybe get 50 first and then see if they can get over the line. But, I mean, the numbers they're doing at the moment is incredible, isn't it? I mean, you've got one defeat 38 last season. There's, what, 16, 17 games now. So you're looking at one in 55. It's just obscene numbers, really. Just like, you know, Arsenal had one defeat in 50. Their defeat came at the end of their run. So it's even better than that. It's just, I guess... They're only really going to be defined as a great, great Premier League team if they actually win a title to go with it. Because otherwise, you point to a run and think, well, where's your trophy? But all the hallmarks are there. It's looking like it really is going to be their year in 2020. And even more so, Cole, because Leicester slipped up. Now, you could say two points dropped, which it was, but that would probably do Norwich a bit of a disservice at the same time because a very spirited and clever performance from the Canaries. Yeah, they played well, didn't they? Because unfortunately, you know, Leicester's not an easy place to go right now, especially the way they're playing. So for any side to go there and pick up a point, you have to be on the ball and you have to play well. And Norwich did, you know, and obviously near the end, you know, they had a couple of breakaways where if Pukki hasn't broken his toe, as we're led to believe, he might have been able to get on the end of some through balls a bit quicker. And who knows, could have even snatched a dramatic win. Um, but I think if you're at Leicester, you know, the way Liverpool are playing right now, any slip-up is one that you ultimately probably feel is going to cost you. Um, and I know, you know, Leicester will probably say, as long as we're in that top four, we consider that a successful season. But within the camp, they probably felt like they're in a title race. But 
even a draw now probably makes you think, well, that's it. That's the title gone because, the, you know, the margins are so fine. You can't afford a slip up where you even draw a game. So, yeah, they, they'll be disappointed. But I think ultimately Leicester's aim is at top four this season. Um, so for them, they're still flying. They haven't dropped, you know, too many points and slipped up against a banana skin team. But, you know, Norwich did really well and, you know, they'll be pleased with that performance because they wouldn't have looked to even get anything out of that game, I wouldn't have thought, before it kicked off. Well, it just goes to show how little of a title race there is now because the title race in this agenda is about two-thirds down the way. So you compare it to last year and it's Liverpool, Man City gunning at each other and all of that and, you know, it's almost sort of leading every show and now it's sort of just this surface chat, if nothing else. But, Drew, when you look at Leicester, was Saturday a case of, you know, all great runs have to come to an end at some point? I know we just talked about Liverpool and their monstrous run, but... For Leicester, you know, a club record, eight wins, that's Herculean in itself. So there was always a case of how much more could they then go and give after that? Sure, and and I think that's a completely valid argument. I think more, though, you kind of have to point the finger at Brendan Rodgers. I think recently he's been chopping and changing the team way too much. Now, I know it's to rotate a little bit, save legs, keep everyone fresh, especially because they do have Man City coming up and Liverpool, and those two massive games. And so he's trying to make sure everyone is in form, everyone gets their minutes, everyone is also getting rest. So I understand where he's coming from, but I think he's doing it a little bit too much right now, and they're getting a little bit out of sync, and I think that's what you saw in this game. And then plus with that, you see uh, Soyuncu, who had probably his worst match of the year, getting caught trying to play Puki offside way too often and letting him in behind. I think those were the two big problems you had here. So yes, all streaks do come to an end eventually, but I think this match, dropping points to Norwich, I think more of this comes down to the chopping and changing you see from Brendan Rodgers, and he kind of shot himself in the foot in this match. Cole, Leicester, they have Man City as referenced at the weekend. They've also got Liverpool on Boxing Day. So is there the possibility that you know they get nothing out of those two games and then they hit the skids and that good run is slightly undone by bad results thereafter? Yeah, I'm not so sure. I think, you know, the way Leicester are playing at the moment, if you was to lose the next two games, they say Man City away and then Liverpool, you know, you probably expect, they they probably would expect to lose those. So I think the issue would come for Leicester and knock them a little bit is if they'd lost to, say, Norwich or, you know, slip up against someone like an Aston Villa where it would then be like, well, wow, you shouldn't be losing to teams like that. I think, you know, if you lose these two games against City and Liverpool, you'd be able to sit in and say, well, actually, look, listen, we're Leicester. You know, we've done, we're doing well to compete with these sides. So where we are in our sort of like project, if you like, it's not a disgrace to lose to these teams. So I don't think it will knock them too much. I think they'll be able to recover from those two results. But obviously they'll be looking to bloody some noses. And I could actually see Leicester, you know, causing City some problems at the weekend, especially, you know, the way City's defence is. So I wouldn't be surprised if they actually managed to get something against City this weekend, but then they will slip up against Liverpool. Drew, talking of off the rails, what's happened to Chelsea? Four defeats in five in the league now, and it must be said, another lacklustre performance from the Blues at the weekend. So where's it all going wrong as of late? Yeah, since the return from the final international break of the year, Chelsea has been on a slide. And it's been such a slide that now next week's match against Spurs, winner is in fourth place. And Chelsea could drop out of the Champions League spot. So it's been a bad run for them. I mean, what you've seen, I think, is, especially in this match, once again, defense hurt them. 
from a set piece. They didn't clear the ball, and they didn't attack the ball coming back into the box for a, a, a second attempt. So Chelsea have struggled defensively in the beginning of the year, and now it's coming back to haunt them once again in the past few matches. You've seen some of the creativity go away between uh, the attackers, whether it's Tammy Abraham, Christian Pulisic, and then subs in this match didn't work. Callum Hudson-Odoi provided pretty much nothing. And a lot of people have pointed to this match being lost in the midfield. Mateo Kovacic didn't start. He's been one of Chelsea's best players. And that's probably true. And I agree that that was part of the case in this match. But you know what? Frank Lampard was trying to rotate his squad. He chose to sit Kovacic for this match. And it didn't work. It backfired. But you know what? That's part of being a manager. You make decisions. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. And this one, unfortunately, didn't. The problem is it's now in a string of decisions that aren't really working for Lampard and Chelsea. And so they've got to figure this out this week quickly. They've got to find that creativity again in the attacking third. And the defense has to has to hold firm against Spurs. Because you know that in a derby against Ali, Son, Kane, Spurs are going to have a field day with this young, raw, inexperienced Chelsea back line. So Lampard's got to do a lot of work this week in training to, to figure things out. Cole, last week, Drew and I were talking about Bournemouth. Five defeats in a row, doom and gloom, a relegation scrap. What do we know? You know, football is a funny old game, isn't it? And it was very funny on Saturday, not just because they won, but the goal they scored was given off sides, then a huge pause, and then sort of, oh, then, now we can go celebrate. Just like, you know, again, not getting your house in order from the linesman. And almost, I guess, I guess the question is actually this. Once again, the linesmen are putting up their flags too quickly, aren't they? Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? I mean, you know, the whole thing with a flag, you know, it, it goes against like, the Champions League linesmen are told not to put their flags up, aren't they? You know, and then let things play out and then look at it. Um, whereas it seems the Premier League linesmen are still being told to put your flag up. And unfortunately, that does cause confusion all around, doesn't it? And you can see arguments like, well, hold on. We stopped because we've seen a flag go up. Um, I think that is something, again, you know, it's something that just needs to be ironed out. If VAR's going to be here and used in multiple countries, everyone should be doing it the same way and using it the same way. But the only good thing you could say is, if you like it, this is one of them ones where VAR's got it right, isn't it? Because, you know, the guy wasn't offside. Um, and then you can actually say, well, credit, because... It was a great finish. He knew what he was doing. And that goal would have been ruled out normally. And, and you know, the, the guy doesn't get the credit for being really smart. Um, so, yeah, great result for Bournemouth because they needed to address that slide and kind of like, you know, change the momentum from where their season's going. You know, they've had some real bad luck with injuries and everything. So that is a real morale boosting victory that they, they wouldn't have wanted a kind of you know, you know that could really help their season and that three points could kickstart them again. It's a great result for them. Um, it's a great result for us as Spurs fans. You know, if you look at Chelsea, though, the one thing I think, you know, th this run at the moment, I think for Chelsea, could just be slightly good timing because I think coming into January, I think this could help them decide just to go out and buy a couple of wiser heads just to kind of help those young lads for the remainder of the season. So I guess if you're going to go on a bad run, maybe just before January um, is the time to do it because if everything was still rosy, they may have just felt they could get through to the end of the season with the young lads. But I think this timing for them could just say, yeah, maybe we bring in a couple of wiser heads um, in January just to help 
sort these boys out to the end of the season. Um, but it's a for Bournemouth brilliant win, one they wouldn't have been expecting, and one that could kickstart them again. Yeah, from a Chelsea point of view, it could just be a blessing in disguise, couldn't it? And I think that's exactly a great point you make. I'll make another point to you, Drew. Linesmen or assistant referees, whatever they're called these days, could we see the point where they're only ever used for, you know, actually assisting or just giving throwing decisions? Like, will their offside decisions be rendered obsolete? Because we're almost getting to that point anyway where, you know, should the flag be up, should it be down and all that? So should we just not take that burden away from them? I think that is a path that we will eventually go down. I don't think it's a necessary one because if you take the NFL, right, in their review, their review, yes, it's of the play, but it's also a review of the referee's decision. And their standard is, is there clear evidence that this call needs to be overturned? So they're reviewing the referee's decision. That's something I would like to see in the Premier League is keep the human element of it with assistant referees and correct their calls. It doesn't have to be used every time. It doesn't have to be used for every single event. But I do think it should be reviewing their call as much as it's reviewing the play or the incident or you know the missed identity for a red card. Whatever it happens to be, I think they also need to review the referee's call. So I don't want to see that power taken away from them for offside, and it goes solely to technology, I would like to see linemen retain that uh, authority during matches. Right, we've got about six, seven minutes, four games still to go, and I've got to wrap things up. So can we do it? Yes, we can. Where should we go first? Let's go to the St Mary's, because West Ham, they return to winning ways, Cole, and it looks like the decision to play Haller and Antonio up front together might just be one that pays off for Pellegrini. Yeah, that was an unexpected win, wasn't it? You know, the, the form Southampton had been in, you kind of felt they would probably see West Ham off. So, good result for West Ham. They wouldn't have expected that on the road. Um, and like as you say, you know, it you know could have been more. Um, and yeah, they'll take that win. It's much needed. Um, they were in a real bad run of form. Um, so, that could possibly, you know, send them into the new year and get them up and running again. But I think there's bigger problems at West Ham and we'll probably see a return to service this weekend. Yeah, I think you're probably right on that front. Drew, Sheffield United versus Aston Villa. The Blades once again impressing and surely now the target has to be a top 10 finish. Yeah, I think that's not even high enough. I really think they should be looking at the Europa League as their target because they have sustained this good run of form, this impressive ability and system under Chris Wilder for half the year. So I think right now, top 10 isn't a high enough target. I really think they need should, they should go after top seven, but even to be even more secure, right? Try and get fifth or sixth. That's what they should do because they have the ability and they show it week in, week out. Congratulations to them. They're doing a fantastic job. Yeah, I mean, they've been absolutely incredible, really. Long may it continue. Of course, there's always that worry of second season syndrome if they do get into Europe and all that, but that's a bridge they can cross should they get there. Cole, Selhurst Park yesterday, Crystal Palace and Brighton, honours even. I think you could argue that Brighton will probably rue the fact they missed quite a few chances and really should have won all three points. 
Yeah, they should have. You know, they, they did miss a, quite a few chances. And like, as you say, I think when they look back on it today, they really will feel that's three points they've let go. But they're playing, they're playing decently at the moment, Brighton. So, again, Palace is not an easy place to go. So, you know, again, they'll get some confidence out of the fact they were the better side there. And they're looking like they, they could be OK by the end of this season and relegation shouldn't be an issue. But they'll definitely feel three points dropped. Um, and Palace will be grateful for, for the draw in the end. And Drew, you get the blockbuster, which is Burnley versus Newcastle. I can't even really think of a question to go with this one. I know Steve Bruce was having a whinge about the referee, so any validation in that one? Uh, not really to, to his point about the refs, but what I will say is I actually think this was an important game for both sides. And the winner, or both sides needed a winner in this because you have to beat the teams around you, you have to beat the teams below you. When Burnley and Newcastle play... Manchester City and lose, that's fine. But when they play teams mid-table and below, they have to get those points. And so for Burnley, winning at home against Newcastle, who has shown some resilience this season, I think this was a good, important win for the Clarets. So good for them to win and take all three points uh, against Newcastle. Right then, this is the end of the last proper episode before Christmas. I'll probably punch out a couple on my own over the holidays, maybe change of format, but there'll be a few mini-episodes, shall I say. However, in this sort of standard 60-minute format, that's your lot. So first, I need to thank everyone who's listened, not just this season, but this year. Thank you ever so much. Uh, really do appreciate it. And, you know, you can see the sort of progress which is uh, gaining each week. The momentum is um, up the scale, so we like that a lot. Also, I really need to thank my Stripe partnership because, Carl and Drew, you've been absolutely incredible over the past couple of months. Sterling work, as always. You now get, wait for it, three weeks off. So, Drew, what are you going to do with your time off, mate? Well, I'm going to be continuing working here from my uh, home base in the U.S. And I want to say thank you to everyone, of course, who's been listening, uh, who subscribed to the show, interacts with us on Twitter and everything. Thank you, guys. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And then, of course, to you, Dan and Carl, as well. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. I hope you guys have a restful time. I'll be here working on my podcast, doing the different things I write for my website, DrewPels.com. And, um, yeah, I'm going to enjoy the Premier League and watch as much as I can. And I hope you guys can do the same, if not better. Top man. And, Cole, like I say, thank you ever so much. Merry Christmas to you and yours. No, Dan, same to you, mate. Thanks for doing such a great job keeping everything under control. And, again, Drew, yep, I hope you guys have a good festive season and plenty of football, plenty of beer, plenty of chocolate. And that's just get fat and then hit the fitness regime back in the new year. I couldn't have said it better myself. So, with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.